I'd like to invite you on a walk. I first started cooking as a child right after puberty. Before then, food was not something I really appreciated. It was something that I was forced to do, to consume, because I would be hit if I didn't finish what was on my plate. But puberty hit, and suddenly food was this entire world of pleasure. And occasionally when we went out to eat, the restrictions on my diet would be loosened a little. Maybe a little more egg, cheese, and ingredients that were otherwise frowned upon in the home. Maybe things were fried a little more, using a little more salt and oil. And this wasn't present as much at home, so I started to cook. I would go to the local corner store as I was out and about ostensibly playing and maybe buy a little cheese a little vanilla cream filled roll things like this and smuggle it home put it in my pants much like smuggling books home and when my parents were asleep or out of the house I would cook with the cheese or other illicit ingredient fried up a lot of carbs and cheese and this was a profound pleasure when I moved to stay with some friends of the family in Singapore moved away from Malaysia to Singapore the friends of the family had a strong appreciation for food which rivaled my own parents for appreciation for food and apparently the the state that I lived in was also known as a state that people visited for its food though at the time I had no idea of this until experience out of the state and gave me a better appreciation for how much the people of that state cared about their food, the taste of their food, the variety of textures and flavors. And my parents appreciated food in this way, but they did limit it through their own dietary restrictions with an eye for health. But the family I'd moved to maybe preferred uh, taste the pleasure of the food a little more than the health. Not that the two have to be at odds, just that they were in these contexts. But they introduced me to 
cooking with cheese more regularly and other fatty ingredients. And it went on like that. By the time I was a teenager, uh, I'd also been introduced in another household that I stayed with for some time to spice because my parents, even though we were in a culture that appreciated spicy food, my mother didn't cook much with chilies, except for the barest minimum used for flavor rather than for spice. So when I stayed with other people, I learned to finally appreciate spicy food. By the time I got to Texas, I let loose in the same way that someone raised in a very sexually conservative household might go to the big city and turn to drugs and sex and rock and roll. I turned to the full variety of food and began cooking in earnest as much as I could. At this time, between the improvisations that I had had done in previous illicit midnight forays, I'd moved on to finally cooking with recipes. This was the heyday of internet food blogs before they were taken over by Google search engine optimization and the overall dominance of one or two websites that is now present today. So, me and my friends sometimes would pick up some recipes and get the ingredients and cook. And when I finally got a job, a lot of the income, and in fact, a lot of my income has gone to food. Much more than the average person's. Because of seeking this variety of pleasure within the constraint of food. And after years of trying out recipes and coming up with my own in probably my mid-twenties when I had a regular income and was moving toward more of a suburban married life for a time, amassing gadgets for my kitchen, I switched to using a fine scale and started weighing things out to bake, but soon moved this over to the realm of food so that my recipes became more precise. And I also sought out recipes by people who were more precise in their measurements to achieve a specific dish. And I did this for some years. Increasing in my depth and breadth in the skill of food, of cooking, of baking. And it was crazy what a difference measuring things made. 
there didn't seem to be as much room for error anymore. If I found a recipe with measurements in grams rather than than cups or something closer to the eyeball than that, it was far more likely that I would produce a wonderfully well-balanced product, especially if that recipe writer knew what they were doing. And at this time, I also got into some of the molecular gastronomy people, naturally, as well as the more, I guess, the, the chef's chefs, people like Ottolenghi and so on, who were, at the time, they were still celebrity chefs, but they were not like Rachel Ray or anything like that. They, they were a celebrity chef among chefs. So, I went down that lane, and it undoubtedly improved my cooking. It was also around that time that the sous vide circulator became more accessible to a common household with the first made-for-home circulators being around $300, which was accessible to me at that time, compared to the old method of... Hi. Putting together your own sous vide circulator with parts bought at the hardware store for other purposes, or getting an industrial sous vide circulator that was aimed at restaurants. So that became available, and naturally I took to it. In addition to the measurement of gram scales, the sous vide circulator introduced another era of precision in my cooking. Now, I didn't have to fuck around with a thermometer in an oven or anything like that. I could just set a temperature in this water bath. And the sous vide circulator would keep the water at that temperature, which allowed cooking things like meat and root vegetables to be incredibly precise and I would come up with meals that showcase this. Meals that were simpler, perhaps, in terms of the number of ingredients. Coming from a Southeast Asian background, we like using lots and lots and lots of different ingredients. But the sous vide circulator introduced a more European style of cooking that maybe I might only dress a pork loin with nothing but pepper and salt and call it a day because the precision of the cooking allowed the meat to simply shine by itself. And the same goes for something like a carrot. And then I guess the peak of my cooking in this point of view came in the last days of being single after a time of 
well, uh, after I was divorced, I had uh, a period where my life was mostly about lifting and eating and running. And I hosted brunches almost every week, and they came to be sort of a, a thing that was known. You could just come by every Sunday and find something pretty amazing to eat, if I do say so myself. And I finally gave in to the pressure of being a social human being, even more social than I already was, and moved in with people I loved. And this changed cooking for me again, because sharing a space did not allow for as much precision. It did not allow for as much measurement. There was more chaos in what was in the pantry and what I could use and what I couldn't use and how much space there was. As well as um, the, the sheer time necessary for doing the kind of cooking I did before. It was something that was not always planned to a T, but I definitely would fantasize about specific meals, and as I fantasized about them during the week, I would get ingredients, and I would plot out exactly how much to use of each ingredient, and so by the time the day of cooking came, a lot of thought had gone into it. It was a programmed action that required a lot of rational thinking, but given the chaos of living with other people, I sort of returned to a mode that was more like how I cooked as a child or as a teenager. The joy of experimentation kind of came back. And while strict measurement didn't reduce experimentation, it certainly turned measurement or turned experimentation a little more expensive because it required the additional step of measurement. And around then, I'd also, well, I guess throughout the years, I had also been interested in history. And so, as someone who's interested in history and food, I looked at the history of food and recipes. And it was very interesting to see old recipes, because they didn't necessarily include uniform measurements, especially... Um, medieval recipes sometime before uh, between the 10th century and the 17th century it's kind of hard to tell what people might mean by a measurement and it had more in common with perhaps casting a spell uh, you need the the experience of being in that kitchen, of knowing that chef, perhaps, of living with that culture to understand what was written with those recipes. And in our world, those kinds of things are increasingly quantified, which is why making a recipe with a gram scale and a sous vide circulator and all this other fancy stuff, quick read thermometers, makes it easier to reproduce without knowing the person personally and the culture personally that you are re reproducing that meal from. 
So, in the past, maybe, when you wanted to know, and this is even in the recent past, like 20 years ago, if you, if you wanted to know how to do a particular style of pizza, perhaps, or a particular style of croissant, you, you would have to find a restaurant that did that thing and either make an agreement to go work for them for some time or uh, know the chef personally. And all the stuff in between, all the stuff that wasn't measured easily, would be transferred in that exchange. Since the rise of the internet, that's all changed. Nerds reverse engineering anything they see uh, has put a lot of that knowledge out into the world so that people away from the cultural center of a given food can take that food and iterate on it so that now you can have the descendant of a Sicilian style pizza in North Carolina that might beat the descendant of Sicilian style pizza in New York that might have reigned supreme for some decades before that by being able to understand what was done there and then build on it in a way that the original New York Prince Street pizza would not do because they've found something that works for them and built on that reputation for years so they can't change their brand, they can't experiment. But previously, that method would have been hidden to everyone else who didn't have experience making that pizza. But now, it's on the internet from some nerd <laughs> reverse engineering the method. So you, living somewhere else, can, can reproduce that in your own kitchen and then build on it and experiment with it and come up with something innovative without ever having to set foot in New York City. So... In this time, we find ourselves in a situation where it seems like all the experimentation, the room for experimentation is gone because you have all this measurement and that you need the measurement to produce these amazingly well-balanced and precise meals. However, measurement is kind of only necessary for copying. Previously, all the, the home cooks, all the chefs of yesteryear, without these tools, would have had some sort of intuition for that, that came from experience about what proportion is necessary, and that intuition would be different based on the, the tastes of the people they were surrounded by. And so, as I have been steadily getting rid of most of my stuff for the last five years, now I'm kind of down to, to mostly things that I can fit in my little Chevy Spark, I'm also wary of measuring things again, because I've shifted to going back to a more improvised form of cooking. And... 
while it is not always as precise in being able to disseminate and allow other people to copy what I'm doing, it does seem to make it easier for me to adapt to any situation in the kitchen. No matter what the ingredients are, I don't need a specific recipe because I'm not trying to copy anyone. And the act of rationally planning out in advance a meal is kind of a, the act of copying a past version of myself. I don't need to do that either. But it is difficult with things like baking that need such precision. And I assume the ability to turn out good bread without ever measuring flour on a scale will only come with experience. Though, if I want to reproduce a good bread at any time, I can use uh, those tools of measurement to do it. And there's something similar in martial arts. We have all these techniques, which are sort of memorized recipes of other people's. And in the era of YouTube, you can look at a all of these now and copy them. And again, just 20 years ago, just like the pizza kitchen, to learn a technique, you would have to infiltrate another gym. And gyms kind of protected their techniques and didn't necessarily share them aloud, uh, out, you know, with each other. The, the way that it was shared was through competition. Like if you went and dojo stormed another gym, and all of you sparred, there's very fast exchange happening there. So maybe someone would get you at something and then it would like eat at you for the nuts next six or seven months until you tried it over and over and over again with your friends and then finally reverse engineered how that technique worked. And now that's all on YouTube. And with the precision ability to copy people, I think a lot of people start to lose the ability to simply flow with and come up with completely new moves that are fitted to the present moment. So that actually has a lot of opportunity for someone with the ability to play with that chaos to, instead of completely copying wholesale someone that came before, including the, the version of yourself that came before, but to take it and build on it. And that doesn't come with precision. It doesn't come with uh, rational analysis, though those things all help understand. It helps you understand what came before to build on it. But to actually surprise your opponent, you need that improvisation, you need the intuition, you need the ability to trust yourself enough to deal with whatever new situation arises. So, it's an interesting situation we have where you have all these people copying things, and that's actually in a competition sense, in, the, in a global fitness competition sense, which is what we're always in, it is 
uh, a bit of a liability. When I played this heavily player versus player text-based role-playing game as a teenager and as a child, uh, people basically had to program their own bots to help with the combat system because the combat system was so complex. And not everyone was a programmer, so some programmers would distribute versions of their bots. And obviously a lot of them would include little tiny backdoors that they could uh, use if anyone ever faced them that was using their own bot, their own program set of actions. So, because they knew what they'd programmed, they knew the weaknesses of those systems really well, and they could exploit it. So, it was interesting because, on the one hand, giving out these bots to others who weren't programmers helped those people beat everyone else who didn't have bots or had shittier bots, but it also gave the person who came up with it an advantage against those very people, which sets up a sort of pyramid scheme in player versus player combat. So what I used to do was use one of the best bots around, but I would turn it off every fight from time to time, or I'd turn off part of it so that I could train my intuition. Um, I could fight quote-unquote manually and that gave me an advantage because it would seem on the surface like I'm simply repeating some, someone else's system but anytime I could turn it off and start doing things instead of using a programmed action and most people in that game did one or the other uh, and few people did both and that gave me a huge advantage and I feel like for us going forward we're going to need this well if you are if you want to be in competition with the whole world you're going to need this ability to switch back and forth between using a technology between using a program set of actions that have been established and improvising on the spot to be a better centaur the technological centaur, as Nikki Case has pointed out. So, I give you this exploit on the world today. If there is some set of best, be, best practices in your skill, in your arena, use them, but only to know how they work. And practice without those tools from time to time so that you can better live in this world. It's yours, and it's mine.